We now return to Beyond Synth. Hey there, welcome to Beyond Synth, episode 13. Uh, my name is Andy Last. On the show today is Betamax, a.k.a. Nick Mori, and we had a, a fun talk. Uh, if you enjoy listening to people talk about Goldeneye, which uh, I do. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, there's only two more episodes left this season. Uh, I guess I never told you before, but I'm doing the show in seasons. I mean, I know I didn't tell you before because I'm just making this up now. I'm doing the show in seasons. This was season one, and there's two more episodes before the... Uh, the climactic season finale. What's going to happen? Will they? Won't they? You know, we're going to kill off some characters. Who knows? That's an issue for a later date. In the meantime, enjoy my conversation with Betamax. How do you say your last name? It's Maury, but a lot of people butcher it and they think it's French and say Moray. I was assuming it was Maury, but I didn't know. Uh... Yeah, it's Maury. I'm a I'm a Scottish lad. Okay. Or at least I'm led to believe that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm uh, here today with Nick Maury, a.k.a. Betamax with two X's. Can't forget the double X, man. Is there like another Betamax? Yeah, I think there's one from the UK. He, um, I guess, switched his name. He's not around anymore. Uh, maybe I think it was, he was like a house artist a couple years ago. Okay. As far as I know, I think he changed his name. Uh, he didn't really. The reason I use the name is clearly is because I mean I, I don't know. I just like I like '80s electronic. Uh, I like the electronics of the '80s. Mm -hmm. I figured that I could get away with using the name if I threw another X on it. Plus, you know, Sony doesn't use it anymore, so why not? You know. I was doing. Uh... Or trying to do some research. This is going to be a pretty loose <laughs> interview because <laughs> I've just been so busy and uh, I didn't have enough time to throw together something for you. So I'm literally looking at the page that I've prepared and it's like, <laughs> there's just like a little point form notes. Goldeneye is one of them. <laughs> oh, I think this guy likes Goldeneye. Maybe we'll talk about that. I do like Goldeneye, actually. <laughs> but, it's an uh, awesome game. You live in Pittsburgh? Yes. Yes, I do. I live um, about 10 minutes from downtown Pittsburgh. So what's uh, what's that like? It's pretty chill. Um, I just got back from New York City, and uh, Pittsburgh seems really, really small. It seems like literally a pinpoint compared to the vast, you know, dangers of New York City. Mm -hmm. I live kind of in the suburbs. Um, I have the option to go and check out shows or go to the nightlife down there if I really want to. All in all, it's just, I don't really have a problem with living here. It's entertaining enough, we'll put it that way. Because I've never really got a sense of what the, the vibe of that place is. It's, just, it's really, really sports heavy. We are just in love with our sports teams, we'll put it that way. And okay. I mean, I love sports too, but I mean, there are some really diehard people here. Um, <laughs> it's just like Steelers, Penguins, Pirates. That's like, I'd say the biggest thing about our city. Uh, right. as, our, as our pride in our sports teams, but, mm -hmm. you know, that's definitely not everything. At least to me, it's not, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, believe it or not, the most recent Batman movie was filmed here. The overhead shots were New York, mm -hmm. but the inner city shots are all Pittsburgh. I'm not the biggest movie buff in the world, but yeah. I did get to catch a couple of the filmings uh, on the streets downtown there when it was happening. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, dude, it was, it was interesting. It was like fake snow and shit. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Tell me a bit about the music then. When did you start doing it? Actually, a really long time ago. I picked up the Fruity Loops program probably over 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I used to do a lot of trance tracks, a lot of hip hop. I just kind of messed around with everything, you know, and uh, did a lot of the preset sounds, a lot of the preset drums. Yeah. Just kind of toyed around with it because I was at the time... Uh, I played for a lot of bands. I played in everything from pop punk to death metal to uh, funk to reggae. I was looking over some posts and I saw a mention of Runner Up and Colossus. Yes, those are two of my old bands. So which ones were those? Like what was the genres of them? Runner Up was my first big band. We started when we were about 16 years old. It was like our all of our best friends from high school, four guys. And that was basically, I always call it my window to fame because mm. it was, pop punk was huge in like 04, 05, 06. And we had a really nice fan base here in Pittsburgh. Mm. But, um, you know, as any band does when they're 20 years old, everybody thinks they're right about everything. And we kind of went our separate ways. But uh, when you look back on it, uh, who was right? Uh, none of us. None of us <laughs> were right. We, we, we all ended up we all ended up super fucked up. We'll put it that way, and we all look back and laugh, and it was a fun and carefree time of all of our lives, and we really liked it a lot, but we're all grown up now, and we all have jobs, and I have enough time to squeak this project in, which I'm happy about. So. Yeah, yeah, cool. What was Colossus? I'd say my second or third band. Uh, that was straight death metal. Um, it was a big jump for me because, I mean, I like, I've always liked metal a lot. I always respected the musicianship. I can understand why people wouldn't like it because it's just a lot of indecipherable lyrics and things like that. But I actually gained a lot of like stamina and just like speed as a, as a, I, I played drums. I don't know if I mentioned that, but uh, I played drums on all these bands and uh, really kind of fine tuned me as far as uh, becoming a mechanical machine on the drums. You, uh, you say it like it's a video game. It kind of was. <laughs> you leveled up your stamina and you. Well, I also partied a lot then. So that's all I did really. I was, I was just a, a fuck off and, yeah. you know, dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped out on my first college experience, mm -hmm. um, lived in downtown Pittsburgh, uh, played for a death metal band and partied every night. That just couldn't be my life forever. So I quit doing that and got a brain and decided <laughs> to leave that part of my life in the past. for mechanical drafting, which is you have to have a lot of math skill. And mm. I'm just totally numb to that kind of stuff. So I, <laughs> that, that was the wrong decision right off the bat. But I just graduated with my business management degree. So 
at least I got a little something going on for me, you know? What was the initial, like, thing about going into the mechanical drafting? Like, was that something you were even interested in, or was kind of like, well... It- it's it's kind of a long story. Uh, I, I got into it in high school because we had a we had a CAD class. It was easy to me. It was, like, fun and easy. I was really good with computers and yada, yada, yada. And it turned out that it's just so much advanced math. It's mm-hmm. just geometric tolerancing, trigonometry, you name it. I couldn't do it. I sort of did the same thing where I eventually went into like film school. But before I did, I always thought I was going to go into animation. All like the big sort of animation schools like that are, you know, near me required, you know, taking a classical animation course and doing all this stuff. And then when I found out just how technical it was, it was like, fuck this. (laughs) I know the exact feeling. I know that feeling. (laughs) It's a horrible, horrible feeling. Either way, you know, we both bailed and did something else. That's just the way just the way life is, you know? You refer to Lost Formats as your first album, but Legacy was first, right? Or were you just making the distinction that Lost Formats was like an album and Legacy was an EP? Basically, Legacy was never released. Well, obviously it was released, but it was released after Lost Formats. Lost Formats was supposed to be the big deal, the debut EP. I spent quite a bit of uh, money actually pressing that album, and I actually just gave away the last couple CDs that were the hard copies that I gave with my t-shirts, which fans, uh, yes, they are still for sale. Yeah. And I have tons of <laughs> tons of sizes available, so feel free to hit me up on the Bandcamp. <laughs> so Legacy did come first, then, like timeline wise. Those are earlier recordings. Is basically what it is, and I just didn't release them till later. And it's kind of confusing, but it's uh that that's a free that's a free EP. Anybody can get it. Another thing about that EP was I didn't use any like real synthesizers on it. Everything is like virtual uh, VST synths that were built in into my program and that's kind of why I wanted Lost Formats to be the the first impression kind of because it's all analog synthed out and shit like that. I was going through and sort of listening to them and like Legacy it's still like a solid release like there's a lot of fun tracks on there like I dig like uh, Heated is a cool one. Thank you.
just more more or less an experimental CD when I was just like really hammering out music a lot. That was my first take on the 80s, so. Why did you want to make music in this genre? I just heard a lot of great artists. My friend showed me, I think it was Miami Horror was one of the first ones. From there, um, iTunes led me to a lot of other cool music like uh, Laserhawk, uh, Mitch Murder, Anorak, FM Attack. I was like, well, you know, I'm capable of making electronic music, but I couldn't figure out how to get the sound. I couldn't nail the sound down. It was hard. So I was like, how did these new new school guys do it? And I found out it's through analog synthesis and was like, I have to have an analog synthesizer. This is like my next thing I'm buying. I'm not buying a guitar. Not buying a cymbal, I'm buying a goddamn fucking synthesizer. Yeah. <laughs> and I bought my first synth was called a um, Roland Super JX, which um, it was a massive synthesizer. It's huge. It was like it weighed like a hundred pounds. Um, I would go through those synths all the time. I so I like to buy and sell them, and I'll save sounds from them. I'll I'll sample them as, and stuff like that. Are you talking about getting like full keyboards? Are you talking about getting like the the box that you like connect to them? I have full keyboards. I have like actual units. A lot of keyboards made by Roland in the early 80s. I have a mono synth from the late 70s. I have um, I have a micro Korg, which is always fun for doing the vocoder type stuff. Oh yeah, I have a Prophet 08 too. That one's probably the creme de la creme. That's like a new analog synthesizer that I bought last year. So for all those other ones, I mean, are you like eBaying or like how are you getting a hold of those? Usually eBay or some kind of poor sap sells them to the guitar center down the road and they don't know what they have. And I have a credit card, so conveniently I look online every once in a while and that's how I just got my ARP axe is through Guitar Center, believe it or not. So uh what is your um credit card number? <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, it's uh it's all sixes. So. <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't charge anything on that thing. It's 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 basically melted from from using it so much. Are you building up some sort of relationship with the guitar store guy where you can Actually, I try to stay away from that place. I don't like the people that work there. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like the typical know-it-all douchebags. They're like, "Oh, well, right, right. you don't need this or you need to get this. Uh clearly this this needs to be in your collection." It's like no, you don't know what you're talking about. Maybe your collection, yeah. but I know what I like. I've been playing music for like 10 or 15 years. Like you don't tell, you don't need to tell me what I need. That pisses me off more than anything about that fucking place. There's always something frustrating about going into a store and having to listen to someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. I, I remember um, I was in like an EB Games. You know, when you have to listen to like, I mean, I am a video game nerd, but I just don't like listening to other video game nerds talk. I just like to take the game home and play it. Right, right. You know, those moments where I just wanted to like interrupt, but I'm like, this is not my place. I've got no business doing this. The new GoldenEye came out, that remake of, you know, Activision came out with GoldenEye Reloaded. Did you like it? Um, It was okay, but like it was not a remake in the sense that they took the original game and ported it up like it was a brand new game it was sort of like the first time in the, the history of video games we were getting like almost like they do movie remakes you know like there's the new robocop and stuff right it was like a retelling of that video game from another game develop like did you play it i played the multiplayer for a little bit I, I actually didn't really like it well the multiplayer wasn't great it was trying to be like call of duty it seemed like and i was so used to the cod controls at the time i'm just like yeah well i'm just gonna play the old golden eye and we'll leave it at that yeah they didn't uh you know the old golden eye had a charm and then also by extension perfect dark as well that 
Oh, yeah. The new one, when it was trying to be like Call of Duty and having the regenerative health, and you had these maps that were like too big for four players to be in. Yeah, the, the maps were huge. The single player was okay because it was like, it was a nice change from the Call of Duties, like for the stealth and stuff. Like it was fun. But the point was, like, I was at the EB Games and I'm listening to this dude talk to some customers who are going, like, oh, this is like, uh, like the old Goldeneye. And like, yeah, oh, does it have, does it have like the old map? This is my impression of a stupid customer. <laughs> you know, and just like, oh, does it have all the old maps? Like for multiplayer and the guy behind the counter is just like oh yeah yeah you know they've they've remade all the old maps and i'm sitting there next to him going like no they haven't you fucking idiot <laughs> and I was like, the thing was i knew that they hadn't like I, I read more video game news than i play video games just because yeah I have, the new, I have the new Grand Theft Auto, and I can't really play it in front of my son, so... Oh, yeah, that's one of the uh, most graphic video games I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, children should not play that game. No, they should not, and they shouldn't see it. And so I end up reading a lot, so I go into the EB games. Oh, I never ask questions. You know, I'm not one of those people that goes in the store like, oh, is this a good game? I already know what's a good game. I know where to fucking go. <laughs> and so seeing seeing people give other people false information, it just makes me sit there, and I'm just like, do I... Do I say something? Like, do I call this guy an asshole? Like, I mean, it would be weird. You should. You'd be like a, a hero in, yeah. in the retail <laughs> world, you know? Be like, my job here is done. Yeah. Peace, bitches. <laughs> I got to start developing this persona. Champion of the common man, you know what I mean? You can... <laughs> my buddy actually coined that phrase, but it, I use it all the time. Champion of the common man. That's a pretty good one. What's your buddy's name? We'll give him proper credit. His name is uh, James Progar. And he is cha champion of the common man. <laughs> <laughs> he actually is a one of my buddies that wants to start playing like live music with me again. And he's like, yeah, you know, you got to bust out that synthesizer. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I, I have no problem being a producer in the studio. I have a million chances to screw up. I only have one chance to get it right live. Going back to uh, to Lost Formats then, tell me a bit about the making of that one. First of all, I'd like to thank my good friend Ryan Bussell. He did the cover art for that. He's the man behind Arcade High. Mm -hmm. He lives very close to me, and we chill sometimes, man. He's a good dude. That's cool. Uh, I like hanging out with him. That was basically when I first discovered that I have all this equipment that I can record with, so I started plugging in my synthesizers into my computer, and I started coming across better drum emulations, better drum machines, and I started really exploring a different area of Fruity Loops that I've never, ever really never got into before. Mm -hmm. Slowly but surely, I kind of put that one together. It took me, I spent the whole summer on it last year, kind of writing, editing it, mastering it. How did you find the difference between doing like a primarily sort of VST one as far as like the workflow? from switching to doing it all within Fruity Loops to like then recording the samples, you know. It was actually more of a mistake coming across it. I was just kind of screwing around with some of the audio ends and stuff like that. And uh, there's a little, I guess it's a VST, it's called Edison. And it allows you to sample waveforms, like raw waveforms, and mm. cut them up and put them in the sequencer. At that point, you know, you can add effects, do some uh, additional tweaking to that, whatever you just sampled, mm -hmm. and just kind of build a song like that that's how i make the betamax stuff i just sample cut it up and plug it into a sequencer it may sound complicated but it's really really simple and i think it's a pretty true way of doing it even though it's i mean like clearly it's not like real to real tape i think it captures the rawness of the of the synthesizer in a way 
it's not always totally clean. You know, there's sometimes a little fuzz here and there. It's my recordings definitely aren't perfect. We'll put it that way. There's a song on here called Phoebe Cates. Yes. Yes. Dedicated to one of my favorite babes of the 80s. <laughs> talking uh, Phoebe Cates from Gremlins or that scene where she comes out of the pool? Definitely the pool scene, but Gremlins is almost just as good. She's by far uh, probably, I think, the hottest chick from the 80s. Uh, I, I like Elizabeth Shue as well. <laughs> if I had to pick, it, it, it would definitely be uh, Phoebe Cates, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I mean, that's like one of the movies that was like got me into the 80s. I mean, mm-hmm. it has like such a sweet soundtrack such a hilarious plot. Believe it or not, my dad was like, you, you ought to watch this movie uh, Fast Times. <laughs> so, you know, you like to go and hang out at the mall. Meanwhile, I was like 14 years old. He's like, yeah, I like to go hang out at the mall. Mm-hmm. And I, I just loved it right away. I, I own it. I, I still watch it. It's a great movie. What's your like favorite uh, track or tracks from, from that album? Definitely Pittsburgh Nights is my favorite one, hands down.
I think it's different than any other song that I even have in my entire catalog. Super like video game, abrasive kind of funk bass. Mm-hmm. Um, it has like some, a lot of nice little ambient kind of chords on top of it. I don't know. I just like that one a lot. And if, and another one I liked a lot was Restless. That did probably the best out of any song on that CD. And I still, to this day, you know, everybody, not everybody, but like some people are like, wow, I really, really like that song. It's, really different uh, in the in the synthwave world you mm-hmm. know we really like that song a lot and i appreciate people that have said that it's meant a lot to me it means the world you know that's kind of why i do it i do it to connect with people like you and people fans really because i mean i know i'm not like some platinum record maker you know and mm-hmm. uh, my music's pretty weird to a degree <laughs> if, if you had to put it in modern standards for music which is pretty much garbage anyways but um, <laughs> my music's kind of weird to the world like my family doesn't understand it my girlfriend likes it she gets it she likes like a lot of 80s music but my family they're like this is cool but where's the singing why, why isn't there anybody singing on it yeah. like blah 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 where's the guitar or something something stupid you know it's yeah. like that's not what I'm going for, family. So yeah. figure it the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, parents just don't understand. So to you other kids all across the land, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. I saw some pictures you had of your sort of your keyboard collection. And I know we were we were just talking about that and you were sort of listing them all off. But like, when did your actual like collection begin? And is it going to end or are you just going to keep sort of filling up the space? I hope it ends. I hope it ends. <laughs> I am running out of room, brother. I don't have a whole lot of room left. <laughs> like I said, my first keyboard was a, a Roland Super JX, one of the last analog synthesizers ever made. I think it was made in 87. You know, it, it was so hard to use. The, the interface was so difficult that I just ended up selling it. I mean, it undoubtedly had a lot of cool sounds, but uh couldn't really figure it out. So I sold that, and then I bought my which my favorite synth uh, that I have now, and I still have, is my Juno 106 made by Roland. Any of you guys that are thinking about ever purchasing a synthesizer, it's a great first one to get. It's so much fun to use. Mm -hmm. It's very easy, too. I've talked to other sort of artists and producers about this, but when they talk about sort of easy to use versus not easy to use, what does that really mean? Like, we talking about the programming of of sounds? Yeah, like basic programming. The 106 has all the knobs and sliders right on top of the keyboard. It has a saving feature. You can save your patches, and it's really easy. All you have to do is, is touch these these sliders and get different sounds. When it comes to difficult synthesizers, first thing that comes to mind is, you know, you have a little tiny screen on here, and there's, like, buttons, either, like, a wheel or something like that, and you have to kind of go in and select different features, and it's just, it's time, it takes a lot of time to do, you know what I mean? Oh, right, so um, if it was, like, if you were... I guess in like layman's terms, so say you're like, I want to add reverb to this sound. You're like scrolling through, waiting for the word reverb to pop up. And then you're pressing like another button. Yeah, pretty much stuff like that. It's not fun to me. It just takes too much time. Right, know? right, right. Which a lot of new keyboards are like, and that's fine and dandy. I, I, I'm not trying to be the smartest guy in the world. I just want to be able to make sounds easy. And mm-hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't really 
care about being the hugest gearhead either you know i guess in some ways it must be even easier than if you do have a keyboard like that with all the knobs than even the vst uh like emulations because you're still ending up having to click on the little knobs the virtual knobs it's so much easier yeah absolutely yeah it's still it's still gonna be it's still gonna take more time i guess i'm all about efficiency doing things the american way the fast way <laughs> What do you do then? I work for a family business and we sell and service industrial pumps for places like steel mills, wastewater treatment plants, chemical plants, um, oil and gas industry, stuff like that. I feel like I saw a picture of you and I feel like I saw the words pump rebuilds. That was that was correct. What the hell is a pump rebuild? Basically, these plants are what have you, factories, things like that, they break a lot of things. They break their pumps mm. and we take them in and we fix their pumps. It's pretty simple. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's. So then your free time then besides music, are you like much of a, a gamer or what do you do? Yeah, I've been really loving the new GTA. Uh, I like Call of Duty and I like mostly old video games too. I just bought a, just bought a Sega Genesis, believe it or not. Nice. Never had, never had one. I always had a bunch of Nintendos though. Mm -hmm. It was like this forbidden fruit, you know, I was like, well, you grew up a Nintendo kid. Uh, you don't need a Sega for anything. I was like, yeah, you're probably right. And then I was at a flea market, <laughs> as, and, I, and this guy was selling one with like 30 games for like 50 bucks or something. I was like, uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna buy that. Now I can be a Sega kid too. Well, it was funny that whole fucking feud. I mean, I I still think that when it came to games that were that were on both consoles, there wasn't. I mean, there was no argument that the Super Nintendo one was better. Like everyone always cites the Mortal Kombat one just because, like, oh, on Sega it had the blood code. <laughs> But nobody ever acknowledges that the Sega one looked like shit. Like, compared to, like, <laughs> the actual Super Nintendo version, yes, it didn't have blood, but it actually kind of looked like the arcade version. Right. And the Genesis one, the colors were all muted. There was no sound. Like, it didn't have any voices of, like, you know, like, the Kano wins. Like, none of that was in there. Oh, that's weak. The only sound sample they had was Get Over Here, and it was very muffled and fuzzy. And even though it did have the blood code... It wasn't actually the blood from the arcade. All they did was take the sweat and they kind of made it red. And the fatalities were in there, but the game... And it, it also played a lot slower. If anyone's already played Mortal Kombat 1, it was already slow to begin with. Like, it was already mm -hmm. a really slow, silly game. Right, right. This was always, like, the pinnacle of the Sega versus Nintendo argument was, Oh, Sega has blood code. And the sports games are better. Sega has blood code. I know, that was the thing. And like, <laughs> it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that's what they always would rely on. And it was like, but the Sega one played so poorly and it was so shitty that I was always like, what the fuck? But I will say the Sega had like, I, I love the Sonic series. I love Streets of Rage. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Golden those, those, are, those are great games for sure. So, you know, it was all about, I, I, I was just, wow, I just said about like a Canadian. I don't usually do that. Out and about. I just fucking, I don't, I make a point that I'm just like, I don't say about like that. And then sometimes if it's like in the middle of a sentence, it's like, I know a boot. Now what the fuck? <laughs> we have some strange dialect around here. They call it yinzer, yinzerism or, you know, your, your yinzer. What's the genesis of that? Yinzer. What is that? Because it's like, what's yin, what are yin's guys up to? You know, it's, instead of saying y'all or you all mm -hmm. or you guys, we say yins. Like, what's up, yins? I, I don't <laughs> say it. I, that's like my grandmother said that shit, but mm -hmm. I, I don't say the word yins. Yins.
American productions used to come here, and they still do, you know, film mm-hmm. in uh, Vancouver, and now they're filming more in Toronto. I said it was because of cheap labor, but really it was because in the 90s, the American dollar was worth a lot more than the Canadian one. Like, So it was just cheaper. Like Our dollar was cheaper and they gave people tax breaks. So even though we're watching all this American TV, a lot of it was actually filmed in like Vancouver and stuff. That's why they filmed The Dark Knight Rises in Pittsburgh, you know? Because it was so much cheaper to do than New York. It's mostly about like the tax breaks now because the Canadian and American dollar, I think, are actually a lot closer. I think that it might actually be, be worth less than the Canadian dollar at this point. I'm not really, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think they, it sort of hovers that way. I haven't checked. I used to work at a bank, so I used to have to look at those numbers every day. Oh, really? But now I don't. But yeah, the uh, what the fuck are we talking about? Oh, yes, yeah, Sega. I think we went into video games and then something <laughs> something else. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, Sega, Sega. Sega. Yeah, <laughs> but definitely, like, Sega does have some kick-ass games. I just have the collection. You know, I think they came out for... I, I have a PlayStation, but I know it came out for Xbox as well. You know, like, the Sonic collection. It's got all the Sonic games. It's got all the Streets of Rages, all the Golden Axe, Fantasy Star games. It's got, like, a whole shitload. It's actually a really good compilation. Yeah, I always liked emulators and stuff. It sucks not having the, the original controller, but it's fun to play the game still, you know? I find any game for, like, uh, N64 because the controller was so specific. Oh, yeah. I love that controller, though. I, th- I thought it made so much sense. People were always complaining about the N64 controller was so shitty for the first-person shooters. Like, people would say that. And I'm like, if you're playing on a PC, like a keyboard and mouse setup, yeah. you move forward, back, left, and right with the fucking, the keys, like the up, down, left, right keys, and you move your head around with the mouse. Well, that's exactly what the N64 controller was doing. Like, because when I played Goldeneye, I used uh, controller uh, setting 1.2, which I think was solitaire. And that's the one where you move forward, back, left, and right with the yellow buttons, the C buttons. And you moved your head around with the joystick. Oh, okay. Essentially, what first-person shooter controllers are now, except you're using an analog stick instead of the yellow buttons. Yeah, exactly, because that was your the yellow buttons you could strafe. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I never really understood when people complained. The only real legitimate complaint about the 64 controller was that analog stick was built so poorly that you always ended up with that fucking thing full of powder, like that white powder. Oh, yeah. And then eventually it would like, you know, it started to like basically wear away at the joystick until it was all fucking loose and shitty. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) The good old days. The good old days. (laughs) Hey, I still have all those systems. If if I really want to, I can just plug her on in and sit back and pretend I'm like 12 years old again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. I used to fucking play the shit out of that. I still, I kept my N64. I have an N64 and an SNES. And uh, I I had an Xbox just to play the Perfect Dark HD remake they made. Oh, really? I never even, I didn't know they did that. They did. And I mean, it's fine. I'm very nostalgic. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then it was kind of like, yeah, I mean, they, it, it is technically like the best version of that game you could play, but the genre, the first person shooters have just moved on so much in f- as far as like control and. Oh yeah. It's, it's a big mess of things you can do now, especially the sports games really throw me off. I, I have no idea how to play the sports games. There's too many buttons, man. <laughs> Talk to me a bit about Interface. The old second LP. Um, <laughs> I love any sentence that starts with, oh, the old such and such. <laughs> the old second LP. Uh, first of all, the that were, uh, art was done by Jared Hageman. I think he's a kick-ass artist. He did a really good job on the cover. As far as the music goes, um, I, th- I felt it was kind of an, an LP I could have done without releasing. Um, it's a lot of hodgepodge. 
there's a lot of different songs on there. Just I just don't think it flows together as well as some of the other or the other two albums do. There's definitely still some solid tracks on it though, for sure. They're they're worth checking out. Do you think that's something that's important to you? That that's that sort of flow? Yeah, I think it is, and I'm not saying it doesn't flow. It was more of a spontaneous release for me. I should have probably stepped back and thought that one over a little bit better. But either way, there's it did did get some good response, and um, there's still a couple of really good songs on it as well. I'm trying to think what all was on it. I, I know only in movies was that was like probably the definitive track, and Contra was more of a video game esque style track that was dedicated to a Super Nintendo game, actually. Contra 3 The Alien Wars. I don't know if you've ever played that game before or not. You know the best part about Contra 3 The Alien Wars is the fucking opening. Oh, yeah. The opening is hysterical, where it's got the big letters, the big red letters that are scrolling by and they go, the Alien Wars begin. <laughs> Dude, it's... I, I, that was like my favorite SNES game, man. I love that game and that track was totally inspired by that game. And well, The FX chip, man. That, that was one of those first games that had those like false 3d moments where you were like it had the top down view oh yeah yeah those were sweet man those, those like blew my mind i loved the be opening so much it makes me laugh where it's just got the big close-ups of the dude's faces like badass motherfuckers you know it's a badass game, dude. I, I love that game as a kid. Other than like the Mario games and you know all the typical bullshit that everybody likes, that was probably my favorite game for mm -hmm. that system for sure. I never beat that game. Well, Contra games are a fucking pain in the ass. Oh yeah, they were not very forgiving games. It's like the same with when I think about games like Mega Man and stuff. I never fucking beat a Mega Man game. Like they just no, nah, those, those games are really really hard. And every time you'd fucking go across the screen and go back, all the bad guys would be back. Like it just drove me nuts. And the ones that like you they don't you don't get any continues or anything mm. like that or you get like three you have no opportunity to earn another continue well you're on your last one that you're you're done here you're fucked you might as well just turn it off yeah that's why everybody i know like with contra is one of those games where everyone always remembers the cheat codes i don't know did the super nintendo one have like a 30 continues cheat i i don't know believe it or not that's one system i don't have i need to i need to get that again and get that game yeah <laughs> Once I got into the web, I think it was literally like what became IGN.com, which originally started out as N64.com. Oh, shit, really? And it was because of the game Goldeneye. It was because of Goldeneye. That's how I got into knowing that there was websites that talked about video games. Mm -hmm. Because I read, I read the review. I bought Goldeneye having read the review, and I remember being so excited. Because uh, on IGN, they said, because uh, it was a first-person shooter, and like, and you can get a sniper rifle, and you can zoom in and snipe people out of towers. And I remember just that sentence was so amazing. Like, now that's nothing. But at the time, it was such a big deal. Like, the idea of, what, a sniper rifle? <laughs> and you can fucking zoom in and, like, shoot people in the distance? Because before then, it was, like, Doom. Right. Where you could only shoot things that were, like, right in front of you. And I remember just being so blown away by that idea. And then picking up the game based on that review. Like, that literally was the sentence that made me buy the game. Oh, dude, that game was cutting edge, to say the least. You know, getting GoldenEye for the first time, not because of the hype and not because everybody had it, was because, like, I was, like, the first one in my sort of social service who owned it because I just knew it was going to be awesome but even at first I had to sort of convince some of my friends to play it because I had Turok I remember that game and Turok looked better than Goldeneye did like it had better graphics it did have good graphics so there was that issue of like when they first saw Goldeneye they were like what's this you know what I mean and then it wasn't until like you know guys trust me you got to fucking <laughs> you got to play this thing and we were playing like multiplayer and I think it was the moment where 
in the facility. I threw a bunch of remote mines on the tinted glass and then got my buddy to walk up to the glass on the other side. So he's walking up to the glass and it's all black and then finally he steps so close that the glass becomes translucent and then he could just see all the mines all over the window and then I blew him up. And then it was like and playing with friends in a split screen game. I mean, before then it was just Mario Kart was really the only one that we played split screen, but not four player. Oh yeah, it was kick ass, man. Ah, uh, memories. They were good, man. Oh wow. <laughs> Video games don't really impress me that much anymore. Not like they did when when I was young. What I like now, and what's cool about GTA especially, is the commun the community aspect. Because I think what's missing from what made GoldenEye so awesome is that everyone knew that GoldenEye was the game. You know, it didn't matter if you owned a PlayStation or whatever system you were playing on. It's like right. N64 was at someone's house if it was like a party or whatever. People knew, let's all play GoldenEye. Like, it was the game to play with people and friends. And they were still rocking the cartridges, man. Yeah, there's something about the ease of use. Like, Nintendo definitely always kind of had that going for them. It was easy. You know, they stuck with the cartridges longer than they needed to, but at the same time, it was like that thing that made the system feel like a toy. Like, yeah, people could play it. It wasn't intimidating like you know playing a computer game with installs and all this shit and that's what i loved about nintendo and and goldeneye because it was like it was just this thing it was like it brought people together everyone knew it was the shit whereas like now even though the games are amazing we're splintered off with like different consoles you know there's like the playstation crowd and the xbox crowd and mm -hmm. the six people who bought a wii u and <laughs> there's no one game anymore it's like you know even if you're the xbox crowd or even like call of duty seems to be the biggest one but then it's still a type you know it's still like military based you know and then you've got like the people who like the more sci-fi thing and there just isn't that like and there never will be again that one game and what i love about gta is just that everybody in the world bought it oh dude it's so huge so it's cool that they're in a weird way i know it's like bad to be like oh you know a bunch of sheep and we all fucking bought the same thing but it's it's awesome when there's one game that everyone can can share their awesome experiences with and we're all sort of socializing about the same thing if there was some way that we could all cross-platform play with each other that'd be fucking gold yeah that would be crazy Let's talk a bit about 
sophisticated technology. My latest release. Which is released under Telefuture. Yes, Telefuture. Uh, I want to actually give a big thanks to those guys. Steve and the rest of those dudes have been awesome. I didn't expect to get treated this well from any label. Why did you choose to go under their label? My friend Garth Knight, Jed, I talked to him quite a bit about it, and he said they were... They were very supportive, uh, really cool dudes, and he said, you should give them a shot. And I was like, okay. Ryan also released on them. I was like, two guys that, you know, I like a lot. Two guys can't be wrong, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I talked to them, and they were really open-minded about the release. They let me kind of pick the exact date. They made the press kit, did quite a bit of advertising for it. They exceeded my expectations. Are you part of the the Telefuture family now? Like, will you release things under them from now on? Or? Yeah, my, and the next thing I, I do is going to be released under them. I guess, yeah, consi yeah, consider me part of the family. I just don't think there's any, uh, any synth-based label out there that's doing anything more for artists than they are. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going above and beyond, really. So on this one, you, you actually feature a couple other artists on some of the tracks, like uh, Tommy and, and Perturbator. You know, I actually talked to James quite a bit, Perturbator. He's another really cool guy in the scene. I was like, hey, man, you know, I have this really dark track. I think you'd be perfect for it. And he said, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to do it. He got it done and we put it out on the CD as well as uh, Tommy. I, I respect his synth work quite a bit as well. He has like this monstrous sound he adds to uh, the first track on the CD. And I was like writing this song and I was like, I wonder what he's going to do here. And, I, you know, I'm just listening to my part and then I'm like, holy shit. He like threw this bridge in there. This just like crushes everything. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm done now. I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm done. dictates sort of the order of the the track list for you as far as track flow goes 
I like to mix it up a lot. Um, as you'll hear with any of my CDs, uh, I explore, you know, synth pop, like funky stuff, some dark wave, some Italo disco type songs. I just try to kind of put it in, in a way that kind of makes sense. And there's a lot of variety. I try to make the listener as least bored as possible. Basically, <laughs> like I got this style song, I got that style song. And I try to make everything different, explore a lot of different subgenres within the synth wave style. So what what are some of the tracks that you uh, that you're like the most proud of on on this one? I'd say Zenith is probably I think is the catchiest track. I, I like it a lot. There's a lot of like songs on it that are targeted towards like dream wave movie soundtrack esque painting a picture of a perfect summer, or, you know, your favorite 80s flick or a romantic moment in your life or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those are my like more heartfelt songs, which I love to do a lot, but I know that those aren't like necessarily what people are looking for. You know what I mean? The soundtrack songs are just like one of my favorite to do, you know, the last two on the album, New Horizons and remembrance are like heartfelt emotional dream pop dream wave you know type type of songs obviously inspired by shit like john hughes shit you know what i mean that's just a contrast between you know the funky pop and then the heartfelt music that you hear you know closing out the album kind of leaving leaving the memory of the album there's something really cool about just an album that sort of covers a lot of bases oh absolutely it's like kind of going to a buffet you know you get a little bit of everything mm that makes sense which track of yours is the chicken wings the chicken wings is probably uh number two dolby dance that's like the funky <laughs> if i you know that's just like it's like eating some good old good old fried chicken you know what i mean <laughs> The most important question is, um, what was your favorite multiplayer level in GoldenEye? I'll probably default at the temple. I don't know. I also liked uh, the bunker suite. I love the bunker. I always hated the caves because it was too dark. Well, see, that's the thing. I don't know anybody who liked... I remember I read an, an article on the internet when people were talking about, like, oh, their favorite GoldenEye levels. This was a while ago. 
and they said the cave. And I'm like, who the f- who the fuck likes the cave? <laughs> like, I don't give a shit if you're playing this fucking game on like a brand new LCD TV or like your shitty old Panasonic glass TV back in the day. Like the contrast was garbage on that level. I was always a big fan of the stack. Yeah, that's a sweet one. Because I liked how it had those square door openings. There was always those occasions to have a wicked shot where like you shot down into like three rooms away mm-hmm. and you could like get the dude. Facility, I think, was always my favorite. Uh, that was a good one. I like that one too. I like levels with lots of doors. You know what a lot of, I didn't think of about GoldenEye is that if you're playing multiplayer, you know where the other person is at all times, no matter mm-hmm. what. Like you, all you have to do is glance up at the top of your TV. You know what I mean? it's it, Everyone always used to refer to that as, oh, you're looking at my screen, you're cheating. And it's like, well, your screen's right there. So it changes the dynamic of a game because with GoldenEye, there was never that issue of people running around in circles, not finding anybody. You know where they are. Like I'm looking at like, if I didn't find anybody after like 15 seconds, it was like I'd look down at their screen. Well, there they are. I'm going to go kill them. <laughs> like other people who weren't as good or whatever would always refer to it as like cheating. But it's like, no, it's not cheating. It's like once you know where the dude is, you still end up in the same room and then you have a, a shootout. It's not like predicting the future of what they're going to do based on their screen. Right. All you have to do is use the strafe buttons and like you're golden, so to speak. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, you always had the epic battle where you're just, like, chasing each other in this big circle. Everybody's holding the C button. It's yeah. just so, it's just hilarious. My favorite uh, was those battles where you ran into bullets, and so you're chasing each other in circles, like, doing the karate chop. The slapper fights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of how ridiculous the characters looked, I always loved how they didn't necessarily represent what your character was actually doing. It was just, like, this dude with his arm outstretched. What's on tap? You Are you uh, working on anything at the moment? I'm planning uh, probably a an early 2014 release. It's probably just going to be an EP. It's going to be a lot of synth pop, mainly. And I'm actually trying to collab with this one a local girl that does vocals. And I kind of wanted to join my team, so to speak. Mm-hmm. She's just a cool chick. I've known her for years, and uh, I'd like to feature her on the next uh, EP that I do. Remember when I said when I, were, I, I did Runner Up back in the day? Yes. She was in a band um, as, well, as well during that time um, and she played keys and sang. Okay. She doesn't really do anything now. I kind of like like her to dust the cobwebs off and help me out and obviously it'll, it'll be a fun, fun chance to collaborate with somebody. And right, right, right. I want to experiment with more of my vocoder too. There is a song that we, she was going to do for sophisticated technology, but it kind of got to the point where the, the deadline was there and we had like a week mm-hmm. and I was like, uh, I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to settle with like something that could be so much better. You know, like we just needed more time. Hopefully, you know, we'll work together on se- hopefully several tracks for the next album. There's something nice when, when people bring in a, a new voice. I think there should be more singers in the crowd. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the singers we have are cool and everything, but why not have more singers? Oh, for sure. For sure. Like you were saying, you know, at the start with your parents sort of understanding your music, the vocal thing is sort of the the way in for a lot of people, especially into, into this scene. And so it, I dig it all. Like, I like everything. Like, I love 
the dark wave stuff. I love the cinematic stuff. That's why I'm always generally positive when I'm talking to people. I'm not like putting on an act. I really do love it all, mm -hmm. but I can, I can appreciate how with vocals and lyrics and stuff, it is, you know, it's, it's an easier way in. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I just, me personally, I, I don't know. I just want to do something at least a little tiny bit different and still obviously have like the eighties kind of flair, the touch, cause I'm still using old synthesizers, still using old drum machines. I also want to do a collab with Ryan from Arcade High. As long as we've been doing music and just knowing each other, we still haven't done one yet. So that's on my to-do list. It's funny how, how shit like that can not click when you think it'd be so easy. Like, I feel that way. I, I make silly short films and I went to like a film school and I live near a lot of my buddies who I went to school with. Mm -hmm. And somehow... You know, there's that weird thing where you just think, oh, this will be so easy. We're all in the same neighborhood. We could fucking do shit all the time. And then it ends up being like, wow, I haven't even talked to that dude in a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just getting older, you know, it's we're not around each other as much. I mean, even back in high school and college and shit like that, you just see a lot more of people than mm -hmm. you, you would normally. You just go to your nine to five and, and that's it pretty much. Yeah. And maybe on the, go out on the weekends or something like that. But with Ryan's Rage project, mm -hmm. did you do anything for that, for that soundtrack thing? Or like, were you talking to him about this? There's a song by me on it uh, called Retaliation. It's more like a dark. I guess cinematic type piece. I think everybody should check it out. It's just it's a compilation for his his film. Um, I actually went down to see the live screening of it of his the preview of it at Point Park University in downtown Pittsburgh, and uh, he had the out of anybody in his class, he like literally had the sickest the sickest film out of anybody. I'm really excited for the final product. Uh, I hope you know. I hope everybody helps him out so he gets the funding. I know that stuff's not cheap. So yeah, buy the Rage Comp. It's, it's sweet. There's a lot of sweet dudes on it. Um, you won't be disappointed. By the time this podcast airs, the funding thing will be done, but you can still support these sorts of projects because there's still so much other costs that come in later on. You know what I mean? You want to submit these things to festivals. You know, you want to do like press kits or whatever, especially if it's a good little short film, you know, submissions cost money. There's all these things that sort of cost money, you know? So it's like if the funding day is passed for the actual sort of making of the thing, there's still reason to support these projects. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just another artistic venture, you know, and I can appreciate that. I don't know if you saw the preview or not, but it's really, really sweet in a sense that he uses um, Abandoned Streets by Jordan F is like the backing song for everything so it makes it so much more badass. It's like you have this badass shit going on and then you have a badass song in the background. I was sold, you know. It was a good, it was a, it was a good combination of shit that I like so we'll put it that way. I know we're probably good. Is there anything you wanted to uh, to say or that we didn't touch on or that you? Yeah, I don't know. That's probably about it. Uh, unless you have any other questions for me. Um, what are you gonna have for dinner tonight? Shit, dude. I don't even have any food at my house. <laughs> I've I've fucking I've fucking gelato. That's about it. I have chocolate gelato in the freezer. <laughs> And I live, I live in a town that quite literally has like only like pizza places and spaghetti houses. So it's like I either eat that or I can eat some spaghetti. Hey man, nothing wrong with spaghetti. Nothing wrong with it, but if you eat it all the time, it's, it gets a little sketchy, you know? Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not good to eat it all the time. It's a once a week kind of thing, you know? 
We'll keep it at that. I just need to go to the grocery store. I'm going to edit all the rest of this conversation out, and it's just going to be about spaghetti when this thing finally airs. It's, it's all about the sauce, man. You got, you got to have the right sauce. <laughs> Noodles are one thing. Anybody can cook a noodle. You got to get a good concoction there with the sauce. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Anyways, that actually made me hungry for spaghetti, so <laughs> I'm going to fucking <laughs> go to the eatery and ha- have me a little bit of sp- spaghetti. So. All right, man. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, it was good talking to you. Yeah, it was a pleasure, man. It was a pleasure. I'm glad to, glad to do this. And uh, oh, people go and uh, check out your stuff. There's a lot of really awesome tunes in there. I think I mentioned t-shirts. Get them. Get them. So that's uh, for through your, your band camp, right? Through my band camp, and they will also be available soon on the Telefuture band camp. I'm kind of passing the t-shirt biz over to Steve, so hopefully, uh, yeah, people will start going there. So. All right, dude. Well, uh, yeah, you take care. Thanks. You too, brother. We'll see you. Yeah, man. Alrighty, that was Betamax, uh, more specifically my conversation with him. As always, you can check out the links at the bottom of the episodes page so you can see uh, his catalog of music, and you should definitely check it out because he's made some uh, really cool stuff. And uh, that's all for me, so I hope you guys tune into the next episode, and uh, have a lovely day. Alrighty, take care. Bye. I don't know why I just signed off like I'm talking on a telephone. I... <laughs> all right take care buddy all right we've had a good time we've had a good talk yeah okay you too man say hi to the kids for me more specifically say hi to your wife for me what am i doing (laughs) what is going on (laughs) now i'm thinking it's it's probably a good thing that there's only two episodes left because i don't know why i'm still recording why am i still recording this oh my god Seriously, though, have a great weekend. I mean it. From the bottom of my heart. To you.